I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Chatbots enable us to get things done without launching another application. From buying things to troubleshooting a server, we are seeing more companies incorporate chatbots in their workflow. Marlene Ja, co-founder of TopBots, explains what a chatbot is and how they can be used. We talked about the steps of building a chatbot and the types of tasks that can be automated with artificial intelligence. To support the show, you can write a review on iTunes, send me a tweet at Tech Women Show, or a private message. I've enjoyed hearing what you think. Thank you for listening. Marlene, co-founder of TopBots, a strategy and research firm focused on bots and artificial intelligence, is joining us today. Marlene, welcome to the Women in Tech show. Thanks for having me. You work on building artificial intelligence solutions for the enterprise. What does enterprise artificial intelligence consist of? Well, the way I would think about that is let's break down those terms into two things. So enterprise AI, to describe enterprise, it's very synonymous with B2B, which are tools that other businesses use. And then artificial intelligence relates to the core technology. So when I say enterprise AI, what I really mean is that these are tools that companies build that are used by other companies and they're driven by AI solutions. So, you know, when you talk about Salesforce Einstein, that's an example of an enterprise AI. Um, same thing with, you know, IBM, who does a lot of enterprise types of solutions. Um, they're on the forefront of a lot of uh, AI technologies as well. That's what I mean by enterprise AI. And these are solutions by businesses to businesses. That's what B2B means, right? Exactly. And so they work on different workflows. It's tools that each of the departments and functions use. There are enterprise solutions for every single department, like finance, marketing, sales. Uh, that's what we mean by enterprise AI tools. Yeah. What are the requirements for an enterprise to incorporate AI? That's a really good question. I think a lot of times brands want to use AI, but they do not have the organizational capacity. Uh, so there are a few things. One, you obviously have to be collecting data because without data, you can't really implement any artificial intelligence technologies. Two, you need to have the right team. Uh, I think lately you've been seeing more of these like chief data scientist, chief information officer type roles. And the reason is because you need to have someone who's directly responsible for centralizing data and making sure that they're structured um, and in similar formats. So um, on top of that, I'd say that cloud computing is a big piece. I think a lot of companies are used to being on-prem, but it just doesn't give the same access that cloud would. Um, I mean, with the cloud, you have access to all the data centers versus being locally managed, which can have a lot of risk. So I'd say the main things are, one, you need to be collecting data. Two, you need to have the right team in place. And three, you need the infrastructure. So, For collecting data, how do you know what data to collect if the data comes first and then artificial intelligence comes after? Well, it depends on what you're utilizing these tools for. Uh, so obviously, it, it, let's use an example. 
So in, in right now, there are a lot of enterprise AI tools coming out of sales and marketing because you can get a lot of insights from your salespeople. You can get a lot of insights from crawling the web. So because that is the type of information that's helpful to your salesperson and to your marketing team, that's the type of data you should be collecting. So in, in a way, you're almost kind of trying to back out of what data you need to get a better solution. And so it really depends on the use case. Right now, when it comes to AI and even bots to a certain degree, you need to understand exactly what you're trying to accomplish, right? Because artificial intelligence and bots just aren't in a general domain intelligence space yet. They're good at doing narrow use case tasks. So you really have to kind of figure out the goal, the objective within the team, and then you you decide what data you need to get to that. So I use sales and marketing as an example, but you know another one is like financial analysis. Well, then you would need to have all your expenses line items. You would have to be collecting all of the data around your financial analysis. So it just depends on what your goal is. And once you have that goal, then you can say, oh, okay, these are the data points that we need. And a lot of times it's hard to say exactly what data points you need because we don't know exactly what correlates or what are the right ones to collect at the end of the day, but you can start with a few. Um, and that's a good way to structure it out. And how is enterprise AI different than consumer AI? You know, when I was describing enterprise AI, I kind of broke it down into two terms. I would say the AI component is not that different right? They're just tools or products or solutions, no matter if it's enterprise or consumer um, that utilizes AI technology. So at the end of the day, it's just how are you using it? And that's, that's the primary difference. But I would say the core technology is not that different because core AI can come with, you know, vision or video. And vision and video can be used for products like YouTube, but it can also be used for, I don't know, like um, earned media estimates for the enterprise. So it's, it's again, just a, a focus on more of what you're trying to solve for, but the technology is, is the same core technology. It's more on the applications, like you mentioned, video. Right. If we had uh, AI on videos to be able to search videos by the content they're showing, you can also easily apply that to your personal library of videos and find where is the video of the event. Exactly. That's exactly right. Earlier, as part of Enterprise AI, you mentioned bots. Top bots focuses on building chatbots. How do you define a bot? Yeah, I think nowadays when we talk about bots, we're mainly referencing chatbots. Um, and chatbots are basically computer programs that you converse with, you know, whether it be through voice or text. I think traditionally a bot is seen as a computer program that runs automated tasks on the web. But nowadays, I think when we talk about bots, we're more familiar with chatbots. And that's, as I say, is more of a conversational interface. So like, you know, if you've ever used an Amazon Echo or if you ever use Siri, those are also considered bots. And then, you know, the Facebook Messenger bots that we've all been hearing about, those are also a type of bot. What are chatbots good at? Ooh, not much. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think in the past year, I mean, we, you, you've probably heard about uh, the hype, like the media likes to talk about hype. I think the difference that is you want to think about it in terms of expectations. 
So what bots are really good at right now are very narrow automation tasks or narrow responsibilities. So if you're building a bot, for example, to track shipments, and there are bots that do that, those bots actually work pretty well because they're generally rule-based. Um, there's a very clear hierarchy of responses in a bot because they know, oh, you know, once this shipment is shipped, I will send a notification. Uh, once it hits this city or this logistics center, I will send another uh, update. Those types of bots are generally pretty good. Um, and those are more rule-based. I think the bots that are not yet great, and we like to, I think the media likes to talk about it in a very general way, a conversational way, that's very challenging because our technology is just not there yet. These bots are just not advanced enough to talk to you like you or me. But for narrow things and narrow questions, they absolutely can, can do a pretty decent job. And there are bots out there that do that. And the first type of bot that you mentioned is the rule-based approach, which is basically if I ask, for example, I like to order a pizza and then it can, det or it can give me a series of options. What would exactly. you like to do? Order exactly. a pizza. That's the rule-based approach. That's exactly right. There's a set number of options. There's a set number of responses. There's a very clear flow. Um, there, there are definitely bots like uh, 1-800-Flowers is another example where, you know, they, you basically say, hey, I want this type of flower. And then it shows you A, B, C, D, E, mm -hmm. you know, these types of options. And then you can pick, you know, the form, the type of, you know, flowers that go into that, you know, bouquet or whatever. It's very simple. It goes from one step to the other. And then you can just transact. So those, those are definitely, you know, commerce-related bots are generally rule-based. Yes. I think there are, you know, actually there is one commerce bot called eBay ShopBot. They're pretty good. Um, they actually have quite a few elements of AI in terms of conversation, preferences, as well as image. For example, on eBay ShopBot, you can even upload a picture. Like if I'm walking outside in a park and I see this beautiful bag a different girl is wearing, I can take a picture of it and upload it through eBay ShopBot and it'll sort out options like that. Um, so there are actually some advanced uh, chatbots. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say all of them are like that, but it's just very few and far between. And for a fully conversational bot, we are still not there yet. But what I think is, for example, how we communicate with Google is very different. It's like we know of a certain way of ordering the words that can give us the search result that we're looking for. That's right. Do you think we would be at some point talking to chatbots the same way while it gets there? That there will be this certain type of ordering words that we think will work? Yeah, I think in a lot of bots, the rigid rule-based ones, they kind of try to direct you that way, which is like, hey, you know, answer A, B, C, D, or E, right? Um, it tries to direct you to specific types of answers and wordings um, so that it knows how to respond. I think the bigger issue is because of the nature of chatbots and where they are. Uh, you know, a lot of chatbots are created on messaging platforms because that's just where consumers are. It's so hard to create your own bot now because the fact of the matter is, it's just that apps and sites are just so concentrated. I mean, when you think about what you use every day, you probably use one or two of those messaging apps every day. And so to a lot of the brands, it just makes a lot of sense 
to release the bot on Facebook Messenger or Slack, right? Because that's already a place that you're going to converse in. But then the issue is because you're on these messaging platforms, we have this behavior, which is that we think we should be able to converse with bots the way we would with other people on a messaging platform. So I think the challenge here is a little bit around consumer behavior because, you know, they're kind of in a tough spot, which is that a lot of the bots are being put where the consumers are, which are these messaging platforms. But then because you're on a messaging platform, um, you kind of expect to be able to converse with these bots in that way. So it's a little bit of a challenge, but I think as we have more learnings and our technology gets better, I mean, NLP is definitely getting better. Um, we'll be able to converse more naturally with bots over these messaging platforms or wherever else they are. And you mentioned bots are being placed where the consumers are. For example, if they use Facebook Messenger, there are bots there. And a big application of this is for customer service. Mm -hmm. You wrote an article titled Nine Secrets to Creating a World-Class Customer Service Bot. What are the steps to developing a bot in this area? Yeah, I mean, that's a really long question, but I guess the way I would think about designing a bot for customer service is there's a few things. Um, and I think I, I talk about this in the article, but I'll just kind of place them here. One of them is that right now, because the technology is not there yet, you need to kind of have more of this human in the loop model. So in other words, you know, bots are great to search for answers because it, the nice thing about the bot is that it is at least advanced enough to be able to cover the most commonly asked questions, right? It's hard for us as individuals to search through a database of answers, but a bot can do that for us. And so having a bot work in tandem is really, really important because bots alone are just not good enough. When it, you know, in a customer service type of use case, you're... Most of the time, your customer is probably already pissed off at you. <laughs> you don't want to run the risk of pissing off that customer more um, by giving them a bad experience with a bot, which is right now still very common. So it's very important to have you know, a human in the loop as well as an escalation process to get the bot to let a human know that they need to be in there right now. You know, Other things to think about when designing uh, bots for customer service is you know, what kind of you probably need to look through your past database to see what are the most commonly asked questions and how you can account for that. Because that has been a place where a lot of customer service bots have been great. Because, you know, like most questions that are asked are not that many. They're very commonly asked questions. And those are the ones that the bots can take care of. There are obviously like edge cases or, you know, like transactional questions, refunds, complaints where you need more of a human touch but bots can certainly augment most of those commonly asked questions. So I think those are some of the important things to think about when it comes to creating a customer service oriented bot. And obviously there are other steps in designing the interaction flow, how you escalate and what platforms are out there, but uh, that's probably a longer conversation. What did you mean by escalate? That's when the bot gets confused it gets stuck, 
it needs to know when it gets confused or stuck that it needs to be handed off to a human because that's a very frustrating experience for most people. And like I was saying, if you're calling customer success, chances are you're already frustrated. <laughs> so the sooner you can resolve the issue for the customer, the better. And, and bots are just not the ideal solution when it comes to dealing with frustrated customers right now. It would be cool if they could detect your level of frustration and then based on that, route you to a human being. Yeah, you know, and, and there are tools out there now. I mean, IBM even has a tone analyzer, which is like it can detect and break down the emotional components of your sentence. Uh, so there are tools out there that can do that. There are also triggers that you can incorporate. For example, like let's say your bot is like, I don't understand. I don't understand. And it says it twice. Then that might be a time to incorporate a rule and say, oh, you got to get it to a customer service rep um, instead of keeping the consumer in the loop. Once you have a customer service bot, what are some metrics that are useful to measure it depends. So obviously there's, you know, there's some metrics that I think any bot could use, which is like, you know, active rates, which is like, do people even read? Um, there's engagement rates, which is like, do are people responding? Resolution rates, obviously, which is like, did the bot actually answer what the person needed to know or take care of what the person needed? There are confusion triggers, which is how often is the bot getting confused? Are, what is the conversion rate, which is, you know, is this getting, well, I guess that's less in the uh, service bot, but potentially in engagement bots and other bots out there for brands, which is, are you getting them to the right place? Are they continuing to engage with your brand? And then there's retention rates, is, which is like, is this person staying on or are they dropping off? Will they keep coming back to use the bot? I think there's not really categories of these metrics but the actual metric itself is hard to say because depending on, you know, the use case, the application, depending on the company, that particular metric might be different from company to company. That's something you have to figure out. But the categories that I kind of listed off are good metric categories to start with. Um, and then you can figure out, you know, what the exact metrics should be and how they should be improving. So for example, you know, if you're a gaming bot, my guess is that the patience level of the gamer is going to be quite low. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe your engagement rates and your active rates will just naturally be higher because for gaming, um, it's more immediate, right? So those metrics are going to be very different than let's say, you know, maybe it's a, your financial account bot. Um, and it's tracking, you know, your accounts, uh, where your account levels are, or where you're moving your money or trading balances, you know, maybe those engagement rates might be lower because all they need to do is look at it, right? Mm -hmm. So it really depends on, you know, the application and the industry, uh, what those specific metric rates should be. Or if you do have humans on the loop, it can also be how many times that I have to ask for a human to help. Exactly, right. That's exactly right. And maybe another one is even how does that improve over time? We mentioned Facebook Messenger as a platform to create a bot. What are other platforms where bots are being created on? Yeah, there's quite a few. Um, you know, basically, I think most of these messaging platforms 
are able to release bots. There's Slack, there's Telegram, there's Kick, there's Skype. There's the huge one in China, WeChat, which is really interesting. And I would argue that a lot of these platforms are trying to copy the model of WeChat in China. I mean, they're just, they're really advanced. Can you explain a bit what the WeChat model is? Yeah. Um, so the WeChat model, it's literally the primary messaging and social communication platform. Uh, it's owned by Tencent, which is also a social and gaming company, a huge conglomerate in China. But basically, WeChat has become this centralized you know, communication and transaction platform for people. You can buy stuff there. You can review stuff there. You can look up stuff there. You can get train tickets there. You can trade there. I mean, you can do everything there. And there are very advanced triggers that allow you to access these applications uh, within the main platform of messaging. So actually, I was in China a few weeks ago, and I felt like such the old person being the only one pulling out cash because you can use WeChat everywhere. I was in a cab. You can use WeChat to pay the cab driver. You can use Didi, which is the Uber equivalent, through their mini subscriptions. You can pay the vendor on the street with WeChat. Um, it's so easy because every person has their own QR code assigned to them and your payments is tied to that along with all the other subscriptions. And by the way, just think about all of the data that's being collected because you're using it for every, almost every aspect of your life. You don't need cash. I literally did not see anyone but myself pull out cash while I was in China. Wow. And I was just like, man, we are... You know, we are so ahead in some areas and so behind in others. But WeChat is a wonderful platform to look at when it comes to, you know, bot dynamics as well as messaging dynamics because um, they've really, they really centralized all those uh, applications into one big platform. Mm -hmm. There is, I mean, there is a downside, um, obviously, because, hey, if all of your data is centralized, then that's also a singular risk point, right? Um, But, you know, it's also the pro, the advantage of that is it's they're collecting a ton of data about all of the individuals, which makes it more useful for the individual themselves. Or if the fee that WeChat takes, I don't know, they probably take a fee. If they suddenly decide to increase that, there's only one. Everything depends on it. Right. One coworker, he's from China, and he was saying his mother is no longer able to make payments for some services the conventional way oh they got rid of the machines and things like that and she was like now i have to learn to use wechat so even older generations that are not used to this right are struggling a little bit but they're eventually onboarding the interesting though is um wechat actually has a lot of the more senior population in china Um, I saw this report that showed kind of the audience um, segmentation of their products, whereas QQ has some of their younger audience segments like Snapchat versus, you know, versus Facebook Messenger. My family, who's all quite a bit older, have completely adopted uh, WeChat. And it's very easy to use, too. So I'm sure that very quickly people can adopt it. But like any new platform, it's, it, there's a little bit of a learning curve. How have you seen these different chat platforms that you can build bots on compare with each other? 
for example, Facebook versus Slack and HipChat? I think the comparison is hard because, I mean, there's so many different types, right? You have the plug and plays, you know, like ChatFuel. You have platforms that say, oh, you know, uh, create this hierarchy in 10 minutes. I think creating a bot, no matter how you spin it, is always going to be a little difficult right now. Creating a very simple bot is always easier than creating a good a bot that can handle more applications. But there's definitely a lot of different types of platforms out there. You know, there's the messaging platforms like we were talking about, like Facebook Messenger, Slack, um, HipChat, Skype. Uh, and then there's also these plug and plays like ChatFuel and API.ai. There's also a ton of agencies or, you know, more dedicated bot platforms where they build it, design it, as well as launch it for you. It depends on what you need it for. Again, if you're trying to build something for your brand, perhaps that's something where you need to, you just need to find a more intensive solution. I personally don't recommend plug and play because it just, if you're trying to represent your brand, if you're trying to do anything particularly useful, people just have such low tolerance levels. If you don't do a good job, you could lose a consumer. Um, obviously, you can use these plug and plays just to experiment with very simple tasks. But I personally wouldn't use those if you're trying to launch something serious. And like you said, it might depend on the objective. Exactly. If you are a product company, for example, Domino's, it makes sense for you to be in Facebook versus Slack, which is team focused. I think about it as companies using it. If you want to build a bot for the company, for the people working there. Right. That's exactly right. And like you said, with Slack, perhaps it's more around productivity, right? Because there's a lot of collaboration efforts and projects being done and communicated about through Slack. Although I will say there is Taco Bot on Slack, okay. which is you can order Taco Bell via Slack. And I'm not going to lie, it sounds pretty appealing. <laughs> yeah, it does. You wrote a very interesting article titled Outsource Your Boring Back Office Paperwork to AI. Can you explain what this means? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, this. Um, when people hear back office, it just sounds so boring because what does back office mean? It talks about like paper processing, forms, data entry, expenses. I mean, it, it talks, it actually, but that's like perfect for AI, because what is AI? AI is about a certain subsegment of automation, right? And with back office tasks, there are so many automatable tasks. And that's kind of what my article was focused on, which is that, you know, forget about some of these shiny new technologies. There's some low hanging fruit. I mean, form processing is an example of that, which is like, we have artificial intelligence now that's really good at image processing, right? Or image recognition. So there are tools now where they can recognize handwriting and transfer that directly to your ERP or system of record. Do you know how much time that saves people? I mean, you know, like a lot of big corporations spend a lot of time and energy just going through form processing or just data entry. And a lot of the outcomes that they need, a lot of the insights that they need are dependent on that. So it's like the sooner you can take care of some of these, you know, back office tasks, the sooner you get, you get to the more interesting stuff, the sooner you get to insights, the sooner you have those insights be um, influential in your product decisions. I mean, there's just so many things. And in some cases, 
like insurance companies or government, it could be a life and death situation. I mean, think about all of the forms that an insurance company has to process. AI can literally process that in seconds. I think there was this really interesting use case that came out. JP Morgan actually had um, this program called COIN, it's contract intelligence, where it processed like tens of thousands of loan contracts in seconds. So, I mean, when we talk about, you know, processing and automation, it's not just about these simple tasks. I mean, loan contracts have to do with legal work. So it's a reflection of AI not just affecting some of these more, you know, lower tasks. It's also going to affect white collar, you know, jobs and things like that. So, you know, I find the back office stuff really interesting because, you know, it's about the steps of a funnel. In order for you to be effective in this way, you kind of need to take care of the foundational things, which is paperwork and data entry, right? Because that's where you're getting all your analytics from. That's where you're centralizing all your data from. And I like what you said because you mentioned the job is boring itself. People are likely not enjoying doing these tasks. And that's more of the positive take on AI taking some of the tasks that humans do because a lot of people are afraid, like, my job is going to be replaced. But really ask yourself, do you really enjoy just filling in forms? Exactly. Who likes to do data entry? And, and you know, when you spend all your time doing things like that, then you can't focus on some of the more important things, which is, you know, processes or designing the strategy or thinking about initiatives for your department. I think, you know, actually the, the great thing is, is that when AI can take care of kind of these rote, boring tasks, we'll actually be able to focus our energy on more strategic things and more high-level things. So I think you'll see a lot of roles actually evolve. What makes something a good candidate to be automated by AI? You know, um, I really like Andrew. I'm sure everyone's probably heard of Andrew Ng. He was the lead researcher at Baidu. He was also one of the founding team members of Google Brain, famous Stanford um, professor. That guy is just baller. But I really like his quote. Um, he had this quote about a rule of thumb of what can be automatable. He said anything that a human can quickly look at and decide how to categorize it or how to do it is probably ripe for automation. So for example, you know, like content monitoring, like if you're trying to monitor uh, appropriate content for a human, you know, we, we look at someone's comment and we know that's appropriate or not. That's probably automatable. And actually there are tools that can automate it now. Or let's say you're looking at a video and you're trying to count, you know, how many times Gatorade pops up in this video. Mm -hmm. You know, if we slow down the video, we can count it. But hey, AI can probably do that faster and more accurate. So those are the types of things that I think are ripe for automation. And um, I really liked, I forget the exact quote, but I really liked Andrew Ng's quote about how to think about what's, what's good for automation. And this is very powerful once you take it to the medical field for diagnosing acne or cancer, mm -hmm. tumors. Oh, absolutely. And, and actually, I think that's why um, healthcare, it's see, I don't know for sure, but from what I've seen, it's one of the industries that is adopting AI faster than some of the other ones because 
there are just a lot of things that machines can just do better. Like you said, with the vision recognition technologies, now you can scan through x-rays. You can detect you know, different pixels on that picture better than doctors can. You can structure diagnoses better than a human can. And plus, like, now that if you have uh, machines do that, it'll be structured. You know, in the past, when doctors write their diagnoses, they write it in inconsistent formats. Well, now if you have machines do it, it'll be in a consistent format. It'll be centralized. So I think I'm really excited about the use cases in healthcare just because it also has kind of an impact on our life. Um, it's more of an immediate impact for our lives. And so I'm really excited to see what else comes out of there. And also for countries that don't have that many doctors or people specialized in these areas. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. It also brings the cost down, right? Because now you don't have to hire as many of these specialists doing things that a machine can now do better in certain areas. Last question, why is it important for everyone to understand artificial intelligence? Artificial intelligence is not an easy concept to understand, but we need to understand it because it's going to affect every single aspect of our lives. I mean, it's similarly to how internet has impacted our lives or like, you know, the phone, our mobile devices has impacted our life. I think artificial intelligence will permeate through all of them because it affects the core technologies, it affects our jobs, it affects how we plan to use our time. This is not just a product issue, this is going to be you know, related to work issues, it's going to be related to society issues. At a certain point, you know, AI will be able to learn about things faster than we can, and perhaps they will create environments for us too. I mean, it's really hard to imagine exactly how AI can impact us. But the truth of the matter is, is that it will influence us in every single segment of our lives. So it is important for people to understand on a basic level what it can do and what it is. But it is unfortunate because it's such a complicated topic. Um, I think it's, it's even less discreet than, you know, say, internet or a mobile app or your uh, mobile device. So it's tough, but I do think, like I said, it's going to impact every aspect of our lives. So it's very important for people to at least have a basic understanding of what it is. Well, Marlene, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your experiences working with Enterprise AI. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, this has been really enjoyable. Thank you. 